One of my daughter's favorite things to do is to steal my cell phone. I could stop there. That's one thing she likes to do. But to steal my cell phone and look through the pictures. She loves pictures. I use Google Photos, and we've backed up photos from all the other old services, and so they're all on there. So she can go back for decades and look at pictures, and it's just fun. And with facial recognition stuff that Google Photos has, like she'll be like looking at people's names and just looking at pictures. She loves pictures. And have you ever just sat and looked at a photo album? And it's fun. It's fun to go back and have things. Uh, people like to see the big events. They like to see the birthdays. They like to see Christmas morning. They like to see stuff like that, special occasions. I like pictures too. I like them for another kind of weird reason. And maybe you're with me on this. I like the subtle details in the background. I like looking at a picture and like, you know, from when I was a kid and like look in the background at the cars that my parents used to drive or like, how did I used to, you know, you know rearrange the, the, the house and the, my room and, and what clothes do people, I, look, I love looking at pictures of my grandparents and seeing their house and their clothes and their hairstyles from like the 50s and stuff. It's, it's so cool to see that because when, when we see that a picture is a time capsule, isn't it? I mean, it freezes a moment in time and you can go back and look at it and it's a great reminder and you can remember that day, you can remember that person. Have you ever looked at a picture and been like, and you're in the picture, and you're like, I have no memory of that day. I don't remember being there. I don't know the person that I have my arm around. I don't even remember taking that picture. But there's evidence, there's proof. There's a memory there because it's been captured and it's there. Uh, pictures capture a moment. And they serve as a reminder of that moment so we can look back on it later. I want you to hold that thought about a picture, okay? Fold it up, put it in your back pocket. We're going to pull that out later. Pictures capture a moment. We are in week three of this teaching series that we've been calling The Road. And the whole idea of The Road is what it looks like to connect with God. He's created a path for us. And we've looked at that from several different angles for the last few weeks. Basically, uh, it's what many people would call kind of God's plan of salvation, what does it mean to be saved, to get saved, for my eternal soul to be kind of uh, justified before God and have the opportunity to be with him and serve him now and, and eternity with him in heaven? It's like that big old ball of wax, all in the one big idea that we're calling the road. Uh, when people talk about this road to becoming Christian, uh, they normally boil it down to four or five big ideas. And so we haven't touched on all of these, but I want to kind of review those ideas with you right now. If you never heard these things or you want to know more about them, please come and talk with me or, you know, one of our leaders, whatever. We'd love to just talk about what God's Word says about how we connect to Him. But the first big idea that people tend to go to is what you might call belief or maybe faith, belief. For example, John 3.16, probably one of the most famous scriptures ever read or written, says this, that God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever, what? believes in him will not perish but have eternal life and so there's this promise that if we have some sort of belief or faith there's also this idea of trust if we have that in God he's willing to offer our soul a second chance do-over third chance fourth chance fifth chance what what chance are you on right that's grace that's the idea that with faith we we get to come in contact and so there's a submission that happens. And I want to outline for you like four types of submitting we do when we get on the road towards God. The first type of submission and belief is maybe, belief is submitting ourselves mentally to God. You see that? Like faith, trust, it's about letting go of something and saying, okay, I, I don't know all the answers, but I trust you. Belief is submitting mentally. The second thing people tend to talk about when it comes to this road to salvation is uh, confession. Confession most clearly is something about 
what you say with your mouth, though you can have confession through your actions as well, but actions kind of come uh, in another step, I think, in, in what I'm talking about. But confession, a, a scripture that comes to mind is Romans chapter 10, verse 9. It says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart, there's that belief again, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so you've got this idea, salvation has something to do with what I'm willing to confess before people, what I'm willing to say. This is what I believe. This is what I stand on. And so if belief is like a submission of our minds to God, confession might be like submitting ourselves verbally to God. You see that? There's a submission. Falling with, in with God and following him is all about submission. A, a third area of submission, we generally talk about repentance. We talked about repentance last week. In fact, that was the whole idea of the lesson last week. If you missed it, I highly recommend you go listen to it on our podcast or watch it. We have an archive of all of our sermons on YouTube also. Um, repentance last week we talked about was this idea of a, a shift in our mind that leads to a shift in our actions. It's actually going to affect how we act in the world. And you can, you can repent every day, multiple times a day. It's just kind of like refocusing on God over and over. How do I make sure that I'm on a path with God again? Repentance. Repentance is probably submitting our will to God. This is what I want to do. I want to go this way. But God wants me to go this way. So I submit. So you see there's submission in all of this. Submitting verbally, submitting mentally, submitting our will. Today I want to talk about a fourth submission that's part of God's plan for salvation. And it's a beautiful moment that we see all through the Bible. We see all through Christian history. The word is baptism. Baptism. Today's a lesson on baptism. And so maybe you've got questions about baptism. Maybe you know everything about baptism. That's great. But it's a beautiful moment that we see in a person's life where another type of submission happens. I think baptism is a way that we submit ourselves physically to God. Because we are physical beings. And there's a way that Things are happening in the spiritual realm that we can't see it and we can't interact it. And I love that God gives us baptism as a kind of a physical thing that I can hold on to. I can touch the water. I can be there. Let's talk about baptism some today. Baptism, what is it? Uh, the word baptism is an interesting word. There's some cool history behind it. I won't get into all of it. Baptism is a word that by the time it makes its way to English, people quit translating it. Uh, baptism is almost a direct copy of the original Greek word that was baptizo. And this word baptizo kind of gets transliterated. So that's what happens when you just take the same word and you just kind of say it a little bit differently in each language. You don't translate what it means. In Greek, the word baptizo meant something like this, to dip or to plunge or to immerse. Basically putting someone underneath the water. And I believe it carried with it too this whole action of going underwater and coming back up. That's a baptism, kind of a submersion and, and bringing back up. And, and we, it carries through today through the word baptism. Basically, I mean, this is oversimplification, but it's, it's dunking someone underwater and it has spiritual significance. That's kind of where it comes from. Um, but the question I want to talk about today, and it might be the question you've asked before, is why? Like, why is baptism even in the conversation? Isn't it kind of a strange practice? I mean, we take baths all the time. We go swimming all the time. You might run through sprinklers and get wet. Like, what is it? The deal? Why are some moments of getting wet? Why is this significant compared to other moments of getting wet? And why do we do that? That's where I want to bring back these ideas of pictures from the beginning. Because it seems that God loves giving us physical reminders of spiritual realities. All throughout the Old Testament, we see God doing this. 
He institutes all kinds of festivals and rituals and ceremonies that the Jewish people did all the time. Some of them daily, some of them uh, annually, some of them over the course of like 50 years. And these moments, all of them were physical reminders of something bigger going on spiritually. God saved them in this way, therefore we will have this ceremony or this ritual or this practice that we do all the time. And so it's actually a very common thing in the ancient world to have some sort of a physical representation of what's happening in the spiritual realm. And all of these things were visual and they were physical reminders of spiritual realities. And so it makes sense that Jesus, as he's a continuation of the Jewish faith, would use something physical, a ritual washing, as a major part of the conversion process. And that's what we call baptism. Washing ceremonies like baptism, uh, they were not uncommon in the first century. You see them in a lot of different ways, other cultures, not just Jewish cultures. But there were Jewish sects of people that practiced ritual baptisms for several reasons. For example, many of Jesus' first followers had started out as disciples of a guy named John the Baptist. You hear the word baptism in Baptist. One of his practices was that he baptized people. And so people were coming to John and he was telling them, like we talked about last week, you need to repent from your sins. And so they were practicing a baptism of repentance and the forgiveness of sins. And so people who came to John, they were convicted of their sin. They chose to be baptized as kind of this physical uh, submission and to show to everyone else, like I'm making this change to God. I'm making this change. It wasn't uncommon. Jesus himself underwent a baptism. He was baptized by John and he undergoes this thing as kind of a, an initiation to his public ministry. He hadn't kind of come out publicly to the world of what his intentions were until the moment of his baptism and, and God uses that moment in a really cool way. The Holy Spirit shows up and, and in the form of like a dove and you hear a voice and all these things happen. It's a beautiful moment. So, it makes sense that baptism would make its way into the early church. In fact, we see that Jesus himself talks about you should baptize people when they come to faith. And when the apostle Peter is giving the very first sermon on the day of Pentecost, we read about it in Acts chapter 2, and people are like, what should we do to make ourselves right with God? We, we mentioned this last week in connection with repentance, but what he says in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, he tells them you should repent. First of all, first of all, you should repent. You need to turn your hearts back to God, and you need to change your actions and be baptized. And to this culture, they immediately go, okay, baptism is a moment. It's a moment I can look to. It makes sense that I would have this moment of physical submission to turn my life around and to make a change. But why baptism? Why is it something that we do today? Because our, 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 modern, our modern minds are like, that's kind of weird. You got a new job. Welcome to the job. Uh, first thing we want to do is dunk you in this pool of water. And then, okay, now you're an employee here. You, got, you, you graduated high school. Okay, here's your diploma and jump in the pool. Like, we don't do this kind of thing anymore. So why is it still part of our faith today? I talked about pictures as we started out because I think that when we read scripture about baptism, we actually get a lot of really good snapshots in the Bible of what baptism is a picture of. And I've thought of several. What I want to share today is four of them. And I think you'll know what I mean once I get right into it. So we're going to look at four what I'm calling pictures of baptism um, to see how we can understand this idea and maybe see if it's something that you want to do or need to do. So if you've got your Bible, go ahead and grab it. We'd love to look to God's Word for uh, understanding His truth better. If you need a Bible, we've got paper Bibles that you're welcome to steal and keep. There's a, there's a shelf by the door over there. Make sure you go grab one if you want it anytime during the service, or of course, feel free to just look it up on your phone. Uh, you can borrow it for the day, or you can keep it if you need a Bible. Um, and we're going to start out in Romans chapter 6. We actually get several of these pictures in Romans chapter 6. Um, to discover this first picture, we're going to look at Romans chapter 6, verses 1 
and 2. So the Apostle Paul is writing this to the church at Rome, and he's giving this kind of teaching about grace at this point. By the way, our salvation happens because God simply wants it to. It's his grace. He says, I, I, I'm willing to do this for you. So nothing that we can do can earn our salvation, including baptism or anything else. God says, I'm willing to do this. And so Paul asked the question, well, if God's willing to forgive us, how far does that go? It's a good question. He starts out in verse 2, Romans 6, sorry, verse 1. He says, well, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace shall increase? By no means. Because we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? I don't know if you can see the picture yet, but as I read through this verse, maybe you can hear this. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? We're going to have four pictures today. The first one I want to show you is this one. This is a picture of a funeral. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? When you see a baptism, uh, it's a picture of a funeral. Now, funerals are sad. I've officiated over many funerals. I've lost loved ones. We don't like funerals. They're final. They really impact our lives. And now, baptism isn't sad. It's a joyous occasion. We like cheer and clap and sing, and baptism's wonderful. Um, but when you look at a picture of a baptism, and picture it with me. You've got someone standing here, and I say, I'm baptizing them. They go under the water. They're being laid down. Baptism is saying, I'm burying my old self. This is me choosing to put the old me to death. I want to embrace something different. The old me wasn't working. There's sin in my life, and I need to put that to death. Even the mechanics of baptism kind of indicate this burial motion. So this is the first picture that you see when you see a baptism. I don't ever want you to forget this. When you think about your own baptism or when you see another one or if you might be considering it right now. The first picture is of a funeral because we have to make a decision that I'm going to die to that old self. Let them go. It can't stay that way. Um, but living for Jesus isn't about just dying. In fact, that's only half the process. If you know any part of the story, you know Jesus is a promise of life. He said, I have come to bring them life, abundant life. And so it's not just the dying. Uh, if you keep reading in chapter uh, six, we'll, we'll pick up at verse three, I think is what it is. It says, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Jesus was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So picture the mechanics again. You're going down into a grave, but then there's a raising. Now this is resurrection, the story of Jesus, and this is the story that got the early Christians in so much trouble, and it was the actual thing that the whole church has been built on, is that Jesus did die and that he did raise from the dead. The apostle uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that if that didn't happen, our faith is a waste of time. There's a resurrection. Every time you see a baptism, you also see a resurrection. Because you're saying, I've gone down into this grave, but I've been rise to walk in newness of life. And so I was trying to think of what image I could show for this. And this is the one I chose. This is a picture of a baby. Look at him. Oh, he's looking over his daddy's shoulder. And look, this picture right here tells a story, doesn't it? There's trust there. There is a protection there. There's a lot going on right there. Baptism is new birth. That's our second picture. Baptism is new birth. 2 Corinthians 5, 15, it'll be on the screen, but you can also flip over to it if you want to. It says, and he died for all, 
that those who live shall no longer live for themselves, but for, them, for him, Jesus, who died for them and who was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we will do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new is here. So let's go back to this picture. This is a baby. I have seen two babies born in my life, my two children. And I've been, it was very close proximity <laughs> to the whole act. And I remember vividly holding each of them in my arms. And, and among the million thoughts that were going on, I vividly remember this thought both times. Wow, this one's new. <laughs> this one is so new. They hadn't made any mistakes yet. They don't regret anything. So new. And baptism is a picture of a new life. A new beginning that God gives us after we put our old selves to death. He says, great, I got something for you. If you've never been baptized, isn't there something deep inside of you that would love that fresh start? Now, we don't have to get baptized again and again and again every single time we make a mistake. Uh, you could, totally could. I, mean, I don't think it would hurt anything. But in your baptism, God says, no, no, at this point, You've become my new creation, and I accept you just like that from now on, here on out. You're forgiven. It's a fresh start. It's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful picture. So that's our second picture. So we've got baptism as a funeral. That's kind of sad. But we've got baptism as a new birth, which is really exciting. In fact, I was actually kind of counting how many babies are at church today. I think there's like five or six that are under like a month or two old. Uh, you guys are new. I know y'all can't hear me and don't care. You're just hungry or need to be changed or you're sleeping. Like those are your three states. I understand that. But how cool would it be to have that fresh start? And so uh, that's, that's the first two pictures of baptism. Now, honestly, we could stop there. We really could stop there because that's the picture of Christian living. Uh, it's just old, new, boom. But we see a couple more that I want to go to. And the next one is also still in Romans chapter 6. So I want to keep going. If you look at the next verse, picking up at verse 5, you might not pick this one up as quickly, but you'll see it. It says, for if we've been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. Yes, it's still the same two images, death, resurrection. But there's a key word there that really jumped out to me this time as I studied it. United. United. Uh, there's a union that happens in baptism, something. I, I can't fully put my finger on it and explain everything that happens in baptism. I don't. I can't see behind the veil to know exactly what's going on. But we're told about this, this union that happens in that moment. And many people have compared baptism to this third image, this third picture, a wedding. That's the destination wedding in Carolina Beach. There it is. Um, a wedding. And it won't cost you $100,000. I can promise you that. Um, the, the church has been called the bride of Christ. Interestingly, I would have been wrong about this if you had challenged me on it last week. I looked it up. I was trying to figure it out. You know the Bible? Who's ever heard that the church is called the bride of Christ? Does anybody know what verse that comes from? It's not in the Bible. Uh, th that phrase is not in the Bible. But the idea comes from Ephesians chapter 5. So it totally is in the Bible. It's just not that phrase. So uh, the idea of the church being the bride of Christ is a really interesting dynamic. And in Ephesians chapter 5, this is where we get that idea. Ephesians 5, 25, it says, Husbands, love your wives. So this is the teaching just on family at this point. Maybe you've heard this section read at a, at a wedding or something. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So see the connection. He's like the groom and the church is the bride. To make her holy, 
cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. There's a lot of debate over whether or not that sentence means baptism or not. I don't even want to have that debate today because I think it's a fruitless debate. But it is pretty cool that he's called the, he's kind of compared to a groom and the church is compared to a, a bride, verse 27, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. This is a word picture of marriage and Jesus and the church and more personally, Jesus and you individually. So when I hear this talk about union, this is what it said in, in Romans 6, 5, you have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. When I hear this talk about union, I picture a wedding ceremony. So let's put that picture back up there. So get an image of this because maybe, maybe you're married. Maybe you've been to some weddings. Uh, I'm married. been married for uh, 18 years, 19 years in May. Woo, it's almost 20 years. It's crazy. Um, Back in the mid-90s, I met my wife, and uh, we were in high school together, and, and I kind of liked her. She's pretty cute, and we had a good time, and then I liked her a little bit more, and I was like, man, I, I'm pretty sure I love this one, and then before long, I'm like, I'm going to ask her to marry me, and we were engaged for three and a half years, okay, so some of y'all, I mean, three and a half years, it was long, it was long, okay, I understand that. We were young, we, had to, we needed to figure some things out. Three and a half years, but on May 17th, 2003... We tied the knot. We got married. So this is a good picture of a wedding, but I thought you'd enjoy this second one. Check out this. Boom. This, that's a disposable camera, friends. That's a disposable camera. And we have that picture somewhere uh, in a, somewhere, I don't know, box. Uh, <laughs> look at them. Kids. He was trying to have a beard back in those days. Um, before the ceremony, Lindsay and I loved each other. No question. Before the ceremony, we were committed to each other. But we went through a ceremony, a moment that cemented that relationship. We were united. God loves to give us physical reminders of spiritual realities. And in, I'm telling you, in 18 years of marriages, marriage, we've had some good days, some good weeks, months, years, seasons. We've had some rough ones. We've had some arguments where I'm sure one of us was thinking like, I'm not really sure where we are right now. Things are hard. But here's the thing. We're married. So I guess here we are. <laughs> and you can get out of a marriage, but, but it's complicated. And a dating couple could just be like, that was fun, but I'm done. But once you're married, you've made a decision to stick it out. In the same way, I think baptism gives us something to look back at. And when we have these rough spots with God, we can be like, no, but I, but I made a commitment. I stood before God and my family, and I made a commitment. And I let some person dunk me under the water. <laughs> and when you doubt your own salvation, you can look back and be like, no, 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 no. I was somewhere in my head at that moment. Like, I made this decision that day. So just like we wear rings on our fingers that we can look at and be like, oh, yeah. This is a physical reminder of a spiritual reality. So when you see someone getting baptized, it's a lot like watching a picture of a wedding. Someone making a choice to be in union with Jesus. And if you've never been baptized, I wonder if there's some deep desire in your heart to have this assurance of a union with Jesus. It's the word assurance that continues to come back to me as I talk about baptism and my own understanding of it. Because there's a lot of ways people come to Christ. 
You can just kind of feel it in your heart. You can raise your hand at church. You can say a prayer. Um, and those are methods that have developed over centuries, and, and those are not the methods that we see the New Testament church uh, practicing, though I, they're good things to do. We should definitely raise our hand when someone's like, are you in? We should definitely pray, pray prayers. We should definitely make commitments in our hearts. But this moment of baptism, I think God understands about us that we need something physical to tie up to. And so that's a picture of baptism, and it gives us a piece of assurance. Uh, we've got three pictures. We've got a funeral. We've got a new birth. We've got a wedding. And there's still one more. And actually, it doesn't happen in Romans 6. Uh, but it's so kind of almost self-evident and almost like intuitive that I didn't want to skip it. And uh, we see it in a couple of other places. The fourth picture that we see is of a spiritual bath. So I got this picture. You try to find a good picture of, of bathing, and I'm going to tell you, you don't want to put it on the screen at church. Um, <laughs> This is the one that I chose, but it's a bathtub. And listen, it's not a perfect image of, of what baptism is, but a spiritual bath is a pretty good, I heard a story about a little girl who was trying to understand baptism. She goes to her mom and was like, mom, what is baptism? And her mom thinks, and she's like, um, you know how when you get really dirty and you need to take a bath? Well, that's kind of what Jesus does that to your soul. He gives your soul a bath. And this girl didn't miss it. She was like, okay, how does our soul dry off? <laughs> and her dad was like, it air dries. <laughs> um, I thought it was a good answer. Um, several times in the, in the Bible, baptism is talked about like this, this kind of cleansing. Uh, and uh, so I think about Acts chapter 238, we've already looked at. Peter says, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness in the name of Jesus. And he says, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. But that idea of having my sins forgiven, that's the washing. And, and, and you also see it when... Um, the apostle Paul himself was baptized in Acts chapter 2, verse 16. He's meeting with this guy, Ananias. Ananias says, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, wash away your sins, calling on his name. Paul tells his disciple Titus in Titus chapter 3, verse uh, 5 through 6. He says, he saved us, not because of righteous things that we've done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Again, this is a place where people debate. Is that baptism? Is it something else? I'm not going to debate that. I'm just saying comparing this salvation moment to a washing is, is huge. Um, this visual image is powerful because, I mean, we've all had dirty hands working in the soil, working on your car, whatever you've been up to. And then you wash them and you see all that grime in the bottom of the sink and you're like, this is better. This is better now. We can get that. We can see that. Washing is something that we understand. So the fourth picture I want to show us of baptism is a, is a picture of a spiritual bath. And like all these pictures, it's just a way of trying to understand why. Why do we do this? And understanding this huge spiritual act that's going on inside of us. Do you know that baptism has been one of the things that have divided the church more than anything else? I mean, I don't know if it's actually number one on the list, but one reason there are a lot of denominations is because we can't agree on how and why and when to do baptism. Personally, I don't know why we want to fight about it. I don't think anyone's making the argument that we shouldn't do it. And I don't think it's up to us to understand perfectly what's happening behind the curtain for us to do it. In fact, if you understand perfectly what's happening behind the spiritual realm, I mean... Wow, you deserve a chili cook-off trophy. I'll give you all five of them. We, we, don't, we can't understand that, but what we do know is that God wants our submission, and he wants our obedience, and he wants our faith. And we can see that the apostles in the early church, they, they drew a strong connection between something that happened in our baptism and what happens with us spiritually in salvation. 
And so maybe these, maybe these snapshots help understand why. It's probably important to clarify, salvation does not come through the washing of our skin any more than it comes through the saying of our words or the thinking of our minds. Salvation comes from the mind of God. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 says that for it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. It's not from yourselves. This is a gift of God. So there's nothing you can do to earn it. But this concept that baptism is important is something that we can't miss. One of my favorite passages about baptism is in 1 Peter chapter 3. And just before that, he's talking about Noah's flood. Okay, so the ark, worldwide flood, that's the picture. And he's drawing an analogy between the flood and baptism. And he says in Ephesians, uh, sorry, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21, he says this water, talking about the flood, he said this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. But it's not the removal of dirt from your body. It's a pledge of a clean conscience towards God. Which also, to me, goes back to the wedding ceremony. Uh, you know, I could meet anybody at, at, a, at a, a beach and stand with them and say some things. But it's my heart that's making this pledge before God and, and to my wife that makes it real. So in our baptism, it is something about our heart and our conviction and our repentance and our sticking to that. It says it saves you. Why, why does baptism or anything else save you? It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is his blood and his sacrifice that makes that possible. And he's gone into heaven and he's at the right hand of God with angels and authorities and powers and submission to him. Again, submission. So seeing it as a spiritual bath might not be a perfect metaphor, but I think it's a pretty good one. Uh, our baptism is a moment of assurance. It's a moment where our faith and our confession and our repentance kind of come together for both a public and a private profession of our faith. And I believe God looks at that and he honors that. In the eight years since Venture Church started meeting, we have celebrated 50 baptisms. And that's exciting. Many of you are in the room right now. In 2021 alone, we've had five. I got a picture to put up here. I showed you some pictures. Check out these pictures. Uh, one of them was my son, Silas. Another one was another one of our high school students, Cameron. Lindsay Norman is here. Uh, Crystal Holcomb is here. Richard Godwin is here. You guys are all here. That's pretty cool. Look at that. Y'all remember? This is y'all's picture of baptism. A lot of you saw this. You saw a funeral, you saw a new birth, you saw a wedding, you saw a spiritual bath, a pledge of a clean conscience. You know why we do that? Because when Jesus was about to go back into heaven after he resurrected from the grave, he met with his disciples and he said in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, he says, listen, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. When someone comes to you and has all of the authority on heaven and on earth, you need to listen to them. And the very next thing out of his mouth is, so therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And that's why Venture Church exists, because people have been following that instruction for decades and centuries. And that is still our mandate today, to go into the world, to make disciples. Once they decide they want to do that, we baptize them in the name of Jesus to take all those pictures and we teach them to obey everything that he's commanded and we do our best to live in his grace and walk in our faith. Now you may still have questions about baptism. Um, you may have grown up in a tradition where baptism was something that parents did uh, for their kids, maybe as an infant. So maybe you were baptized as an infant. I wanna tell you, that's a beautiful picture. 
Uh, I'm not going to step on anybody's tradition of what they want to do to dedicate their kids to the Lord. At our church, we have something on Mother's Day every year. We, we say prayers over the kids, and you get to come forward and do that. That's great. It's beautiful. Um, but I will tell you that every conversion in the Bible that we see is a decision that someone makes on their own. It's a conscious decision that they make. And so I would say that if your parents wanted you to live for Christ and they made that decision as you were an infant, I think one of the greatest ways to honor that decision is as a consenting adult for you to then say, dear mom and dad, guess what I decided for myself? And we can baptize you. And that'd be great. Um, So I think you can really live in that world. That is what we see scripture being, people that made the decision to do it. Uh, Because your faith is not your parents' faith. It's your faith. And every single convert that we see in the Bible is a convert. You're not born into Christianity like you are into other faiths. Every single person has to make a decision. I'm the preacher at a church. Both of my kids had to make their own decision, and they're going to have to keep taking that choice every day. And so I think that's important. Uh, Maybe you came from a faith tradition where uh, baptism wasn't emphasized as much. And so maybe, like I said, you did a hand-raising in church, or you came forward at an altar call, or you did a, a prayer that someone led you through. Man, what a beautiful thing that you did. I'm not here to step on that. I have said those prayers and raised my hand and walked forward at a many a thing, okay? That's a good thing. We don't see those traditions in the New Testament. We don't see that being the way that the apostles led people to Jesus. What we see them saying is like, you want to do this? Where's some water? Let's do it. And so maybe you came up in that tradition. Listen, I'm not questioning your salvation. I'm not saying that you uh, didn't count until you get wet. That's between you and God. But I do say, man, wouldn't you like to have that moment to take those pictures with Jesus? death, burial, resurrection, wedding ceremony, spiritual washing. Maybe you're in a place where you don't have faith or haven't had faith or haven't made this decision at all. Um, But hearing about it over the last few weeks has made you go, yeah, actually, I think I do believe that. I want to invite you. Come make this your reality as well. A physical reminder of a spiritual reality, a physical submission with your body to the Lord. And in fact, we've had baptisms in July, one in August this year, two in September, I think. Maybe it was two in August, one in September, one in October. We're on a, we're on a run here, guys. Uh, it, it's, it's October, that's right, July, June, July, August, and September. We haven't had one in October yet. Maybe this is your month. Maybe you can keep the streak alive. Maybe today is your day. If you're interested in talking more about baptism, you want to talk to me, uh, I, I will gladly grab coffee with you or try to set up lunch or breakfast or something this week or next week as soon as you're free and I'm free at the same time. Uh, we've got some great leaders at our church, men and women both. Maybe you just want to talk about it. Uh, at our communion time in just a minute, I'd like to ask some of those leaders to kind of meet up at the back communion area. So if you want to talk to somebody, just go back there. They'd be glad to talk to you about it. Uh, you don't have to let us know this morning. You could, and we could all celebrate it together. We can find some water today. And we can have a photo shoot with you and Jesus. But whatever you do, don't just skip it. At least think about it. Let's take the plunge. Let me pray.